0: Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the show, we speak with the honorable Ahmed Hussein, Member of Parliament for York Southwestern and Minister of Housing and Diversity and Inclusion. Minister Hussein speaks about the national housing strategy, how racial gaps affect economic gaps, and immigration's effect on the housing market. Minister Hussein explains to host Pamela Ritchie that while 68% of Canadians own a home, housing still needs to be built for everyone, including those experiencing homelessness. Canada's National Housing Strategy, launched in 2017, aims to get people off the street and into permanent housing. He also cites programs like the First-Time Homebuyer Incentive and Tax-Free Savings Account as additional ways homeownership can be supported. Disparities in homeownership, Minister Hussein says, are even more pronounced among Indigenous and Black Canadians. He describes some of the steps being taken to address the gap, which includes the recent allocation of $4 billion to invest in housing on reserves through the Urban, Rural and Northern Indigenous housing strategy. Speaking about how the housing market is affected by immigration, Minister Hussein says Canada is at an advantage because of a strong immigration system that remains effective in attracting skilled workers for housing construction the $4 billion Housing Accelerator Fund, aims to double housing construction in Canada over the next 10 years. This episode was recorded on May 17th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as investment, tax or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.
1: According to research by the Bank of Canada and observers, the biggest factor in the movement of housing prices seems to be interest rates. Rising interest rates have indeed cooled the housing market on a year-over-year basis. But what other steps could the federal government take, and are they taking at this point, to improve housing affordability across the country? And how does the government ultimately get a diverse group of stakeholders on other levels of government, industry, underserved communities, for instance, all on the same page to coordinate efforts on this front? Joining me for a conversation about the opportunities and the challenges facing Canada's housing sector and what investors can expect is Canada's housing minister and minister of diversity and inclusion Ahmed Hussein. Hello, Minister. Great to have a few moments with you. How are you?
2: Very good. I hope you can hear me.
1: Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. We're, we're delighted to have you join us here today. A very warm welcome to you, and a warm welcome to everyone joining us here on this show. I, I wonder if we can begin, uh, Minister, with with why is, I'm going to assume there's a link here, you'll tell us about it, why is the best way to get at a level of equality, an economic level playing field um, via linking housing and diversity and inclusion?
2: So I think uh, home ownership is really important uh, to Canadians. Uh, At the the peak of of, of those statistics, about 68% of Canadians own their home. Uh home ownership is a way to, to uh, build uh, uh, stability and wealth for people. And, uh, but the fact of the matter is we need to build housing for everyone, not just those who want to buy a home, uh, but also those who would like to rent, those who uh, are experiencing homelessness. So we have to have a, a national housing strategy that addresses the needs of all Canadians across the housing spectrum. And and we do have that. We have a national housing strategy that we launched in 2017 that focuses on all of the above. We are very much focused on getting people off the street uh, and into permanent housing. Uh, We know that people also need affordable rental housing. A lot of the people that have built and make our cities great, uh, construction workers, paramedics, teachers, uh, firefighters, police officers, increasingly being priced out of the very cities that they work in. Nurses. Uh, So we need to build more rental units, and and we have, through our national housing strategy. But we also need to continue to keep the Canadian dream of home ownership alive. We've done that through programs like the First Time Home Buyer Incentive, the the tax-free First Time Home Buyer Savings Account.
1: Yes, we're big on that. We're going to ask you more about that, but carry on. Yes.
2: But but I, but I also think there's a, a big, uh, there's a huge gap between mainstream numbers of home ownership and then home ownership when it comes to, uh, for example, black Canadians and, and other uh, newcomers and, and, and other other uh, marginalized communities. And so we need to make sure that uh, uh, as we facilitate home ownership and, and access to rental housing, that, that we also take a diversity lens to it. And we have. We've worked with Groups like Habitat for Humanity and and, 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 uh, Black North and others uh, to provide pathways to home ownership for black Canadian families. Because the gap between uh, mainstream home ownership numbers and home ownership rates in in the black Canadian community, for example, uh, the gap is about 20% less. So,
1: Do the racial... Do the racial gaps match the economic gaps? I mean, do you, yeah. do you see a pretty straight line on, on on those levels?
2: So I think I think there's the mainstream numbers, and then uh, uh, for racialized Canadians, it's a little lower. But I think when you get to Indigenous and Black Canadians, they're on an, uh, they're even much lower. Uh, and these are numbers c- c- collected by Statistics Canada. But I think we need to close those gaps, the housing gap between. Uh, Canadians and Indigenous peoples, for example, is is shocking. Uh, we have taken a number of really big steps to address that uh, by by co developing uh, co developing investments and policies with Indigenous peoples.
1: Well, tell us about that because because this is part of the CMHC accelerated program that's coming through. Yeah. Is, that, is that is that what you're? Or this is yeah, but program. even before
2: that, even before that, uh, even before we, that. We have, We have been investing heavily in building housing on reserve, but also off reserve uh, through work with national indigenous organizations, but also local communities. Uh, And and we're slowly but surely closing that gap. And the last budget had a $4 billion allocation for the urban, rural and northern indigenous housing strategy, which is housing for urban, rural and northern indigenous peoples who live off reserve because they were also kind of falling through the cracks.
1: So so, tell us a little bit about that program because it's it's one of the the newer ones. I mean, you know, you know what I'm fascinated about generally is how anyone, be they private developers, government working in conjunction with other levels of government, funds being offered, is it hard to find just what everyone else is finding labor to build homes, so no matter where the money's coming from? Like, yeah. what impact is inflation on this whole story? From here, not looking back at this point, but I mean, we're sitting with inflation. Is it hard to get people to build houses in in your budget?
2: Uh, yes or no. I mean, first of all, inflation has been coming down consistently for the last five months. It had a slight uptick in April, but prior to that, for five yep. months, inflation has been coming down. So our measures to tackle inflation have been working. And I know this is cold comfort to a lot of people, but. Uh, our numbers are much well, better yeah, than in,
1: in than conjunction with the central bank in conjunction with the central bank raising no, interest no, of
2: course but what i'm saying is uh, we've been we've been very prudent with our spending uh, uh, but if you look at our partner countries uh, canada has the best economic forecast for this year the lowest yeah. unemployment the lowest deficit the lowest uh, debt to gdp ratio and the lowest inflation among our partner countries right so that puts us in a really good uh, place to recover from, uh, from the from the disruption caused by the war in Ukraine, as well as uh, COVID and so on. Labor is a challenge. You're right. Uh, I spoke to just one uh, labor, uh, one building trades union, and they, they told me they need 26,000 people today. So here's the good news. Here's the good news. I sit next to the immigration minister, Sean Fraser. I was, And
1: you were the immigration minister.
2: For three years, yeah. So now we're actually turning it around. We're using the immigration system to carve out a slice of the economic immigration, skilled immigration, to dedicate, to, to restrict some streams just for two professions, healthcare workers and people who are coming to build housing for Canadians. So when people say, well, you know, you're bringing all these immigrants, where are they going to find a home? First of all, a a good number of those people are already here. We're just regularizing them. We're just giving them pathways to permanent residency, So they're already here and they already have housing. The second part of this is we actually need immigrants to come and build the housing for Canadians. And because we have a, a very advanced, very effective immigration system compared to the rest of the world, uh, we can do that. We can do. We can. We we can move things faster than many other countries. And so, I actually see immigration as a, as an advantage for Canada, particularly when it comes to building the next generation of homes. We as a we, well, we will build. We will double the number of, of of homes built in Canada through programs like the Housing Accelerator Fund.
1: So, so where will they be built, Minister? I, I so I mean. The question is always sort of hanging there. There are yeah. lands that have been protected for all kinds of different reasons, be they crown lands, be they green belts, be they, you know, and it's contentious. The supply issue is contentious. Is supply the only big issue? I, I well, know, I get, I get it's that. One the point big point issues. Point, but it's is one it, of the big is issues. But is everything else smaller than the supply story?
2: Well, supply is 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 one of the biggest uh issues but also if you tackle supply you tackle a lot of other challenges and you you know you talked about where are we going to build well we can build up we can have more density i mean look if you there's two keys to supply one is density the other one is infrastructure when you have infrastructure you can you can live farther away and still you know uh Get to where you want. I mean, I was talking high
1: speed to. Trains? Do I hear high-speed trains?
2: Well, I was talking to more frequent trains, uh, uh, like a, a, a you know, a frequent uh, frequent uh, service. So I, I was talking to the uh, mayor of Barry, for example. Uh, they have already pre pre-positioned themselves for 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 high-speed trains when the day comes. But even now, they have frequent service, so you can actually. You know, get on a, on a, on a GO train uh, from Barrie and be in downtown Toronto um, in an hour and uh, 15 minutes um, or less. Uh, and, and, and they have massive plans to, to dense, to, to, to encourage densification. And they're investing in infrastructure with our help to get more land from the neighboring uh, municipalities like Ormadante who don't have money for infrastructure. So, so they're building up, but they're also building further. Uh, we, we, we need to connect infrastructure to housing. We are now doing that. So apart in addition to the $4 billion in the Housing Accelerator Fund, which I can go into detail, this fund will make a huge difference because it's the first time we will invest in the capacity of municipalities and local governments to build more additional housing, and we will hold them to those targets.
1: Is there a policy <laughs> lag? I mean, there's always a policy lag, whether you're talking about interest rates and central banks, there's always a policy lag. So this goes into effect this year. What, you know, roughly, when are we talking about people can have the key and move in?
2: The money will flow uh, before the end of the year. That was my, my push. I mean, the program was supposed to be, the money was gonna flow next year. I said, no, we, we have to move quickly. So the, the application window is opening end of June. Money will begin to flow. Uh, uh, towards the end of the year. And by the way, before we have even started this program, it's already starting to have a cultural change in a lot of municipalities because they're pre-positioning their systems to have faster approval, faster permitting of housing, and faster delivery of housing. So, so you have the $4 billion housing accelerator fund, which I think will make a big difference. It'll, it will set up the systems that will set up Canada to double housing construction in the next 10 years, but then my colleague, Minister of Infrastructure, has said that he will take his significantly larger infrastructure investment and connect them with the Housing Accelerator Fund. In other words, if a local community applies to the Government of Canada uh, and, 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 and presents two infrastructure projects, we will prioritize the one that unlocks housing, more housing than the one that does not. So, so we're, we're connecting uh, transit infrastructure to housing. We're connecting community infrastructure to housing. We're connecting uh, uh, water and wastewater uh, uh, infrastructure investments to housing. So this is big.
1: That, that's big and it's we, massive. Are you also including schools? I know education is provincial, but but it's serious. So people are moving outside of school zones or if you're adding density and you have all the more families joining the neighborhood. What about schools?
2: So we're not directly funding schools, but what we are doing is when the municipalities are presenting their plans for the Housing Accelerator Fund, they are allowed to co- to include uh, housing-related infrastructure and community-related infrastructure in their plans. So there's some flexibility there.
1: There's some flexibility, but there aren't enough schools. I mean, it's, it's really- when We went
2: down to, to a really important point, which is we need the provinces to supplement what we're doing with the Housing Accelerator Fund. This is the first time that the Government of Canada is funding systems changes at the local level, policy changes, paying for staff, paying for technology, and incentivizing a better way to to build more housing of all types, affordable housing, rental housing, home ownership, healthier mix. And not only will we pay for the systems changes, we will Pay for performance at the end. For so every additional unit of housing that they achieve, based on the targets that we agree on, we will give them a dollar figure. I mean, this is incredible. Now, the downside is it's not a mandatory program. You, 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 unless you're willing to make these reforms, you don't get the federal money.
1: Well, the other downside is that you're pumping money into the economy and we're dealing with inflation.
2: Well, look. Uh, At a time when the whole world is experiencing an economic slowdown, one of the best ways to stimulate the economy, create jobs, high-paying jobs, and build for the future, is actually investing in housing. Second, we're not just building housing. We're building climate-resilient, diverse, walkable communities, which is why I'm not in favor of sprawl. I love that.
1: Did you say walkable communities?
2: Absolutely walkable, climate resilient and diverse communities.
1: In January, the are incident? they walkable? What's that? In January, are they walkable?
2: Well, I mean, uh, look, I, I meant in terms of distance, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of uh, transit, absolutely. I mean, they, you know, there'll be less cars. You, you will not need, I mean, when we build housing, we don't invest in any project unless it's close to school, work, community services. And amenities. That's okay. the number one uh, condition of federal housing dollars flowing to a project. The second, uh, the second uh, requirement is that federal, federally funded federally funded housing projects have to be affordable, uh, accessible, and energy efficient. We just funded uh, the largest net zero house, major housing project in North America: 6,000 rental units in Vancouver in partnership with the uh, the, uh, Squamish First Nation. Now, this is reconciliation. This is a partnership with an indigenous community that is actually solving the housing crisis in Vancouver. So out of those 6,000 rental units that will be built, only a few hundred will be occupied by Squamish people. The rest will go to Vancouverites. So you're talking about economic development. You're talking about environmental protection. You're talking about density. You're talking about affordable housing. It's in, so we need to do more of these kinds of things. And I think the Housing Accelerator Fund will do exactly that.
1: Have you um, already seen, so the applications begin soon. Do you, I mean, you must have people on it. We're day already day. negotiating. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, We're already seeing, we're already seeing movement and the municipalities are asking the right questions. They're already pre-positioning themselves, which is exactly what we want to do. We want to change the culture. We want faster permitting faster delivery of housing a healthier mix of housing we like there's really good ideas for example if if I if i'm a municipality and I give you a work uh, if I give you a building permit and you don't build within a year we take it back no sitting on on permits for for, for five years or transferring them I mean this has to stop. We need to build faster and we need to deliver fast yeah, absolutely. faster.
1: Absolutely. It's really important. Um, so on the new tax-free incentive for first-time yeah. home buyers, yeah. what have you been seeing in terms of uptake, in terms of how this is coming out? it's It's been talked about for a year, more than a year now. Um, how is it rolling from your perspective? Like, are well, people- the, the,
2: the, the, the tax-free savings account, you can save up to $40,000 uh, towards the purchase of your first home, this is tax-free money going into the account and tax-free money coming up. So that has started in April. So it's still early to see the uh, the, the uptake, but what has been happening is the first-time home buyer incentive, where we provide up to ten percent of the value of the home in the form of a down payment. Now, as it, uh, as you would have it, uh, there are I'm a member of Parliament from Toronto. Their homes, their townhouses, selling in my area for about seven hundred eighty thousand dollars. That's the almost the upper limit of the first-time home buy incentive. So you can uh, you can get up to seventy-eight thousand dollars from the federal government to, in the form of a down payment. That program is is growing. And then you have we've banned uh, foreign ownership of uh, residential real estate, so that should provide uh, sh- that should free up more housing. For Canadians, while we build up the supply, and then we've also introduced a 1% tax on vacant, non-Canadian-owned, non-residential-owned uh, 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 re- real estate. So, 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 uh, so we're doing everything that we can. But I, I always say we we are doing so much, but we're not the only players. There's a big, big player that's mostly missing in action, which are, which is the provinces. Uh, the municipalities are doing the right thing, but they, they don't have money. They, they lack the fiscal capacity to do more. They would love to do more, and we're going to help them. But the provinces have to help us.
1: So because that has, as you say, they have the partnerships that have to go along with some of these communities to be built, and they have to apply. Um, a couple of que- number of questions coming in here. They're great questions. Sure. Um, so, Minister, what steps are being taken to build more rental properties. You outlined this at the beginning. Can you dig down a bit deeper, give us some Yeah, specific... so we have a
2: program called the Rental Construction Financing Initiative. We've increased funding for this program seven times. Now it's up to $25 billion. And the way it works is we loan out a 100% loan to uh, to private sector folks to build rental housing. 20% of the units have to be affordable. The rest have to be accessible and energy efficient. The money comes back to us. We get more rental units across the country. I'll give you an example. I uh, unveiled a project. I announced a project in Coquitlam. 306, uh, 306 rental units. 100 of them are affordable. It was a partnership between us, the province, the city, a non-profit and a private developer. We gave the loan. It's all going to come back to us with interest. But the locals told me that that's the first purposely built rental building that has been built in Coquitlam since since 1971. So without the federal government incentivizing more rentals, it wouldn't happen. Most developers are building condos. So the Rental Construction Financing Initiative is now a $25.75 billion program. It is working so well, and we need to build more rentals. We, and we want the provinces to join us to do that. Some of these provinces have huge surpluses, and they're not spending money on housing. They're just sitting on the money and giving tax cuts or sending so, checks to people. I mean,
1: well, it'll be interesting to see, to see how invest
2: in, in public
1: uh, projects. See how they, you know, if they issue bonds over the course of the next while, what what that will be ultimately. They don't issue to. bonds.
2: They have the money. They have the money. They're sitting on surpluses. <laughs> They can. They they have the money, and they have. Not only do they have more money, they also have more fiscal room to raise more capital because we spent a lot of our fiscal room on on COVID.
1: So tell us a little bit about ultimately. Um, well, actually, I'm going to get some of these questions in first. They're they're great questions. So. There are questions around those that perhaps either are homeowners or are professional landlords, for instance. So, would the government consider placing restrictions on increased taxation for investment properties?
2: Look, I mean, that's now you're getting into uh, the finance minister's uh, world, and I I don't want to speak for the finance minister, but always happy. Our government is known uh, to consult Canadians, always happy to look at those ideas, but. is really being led by uh, uh, the finance minister. She's looking at the whole topic of housing as an investment uh, tool. Uh, she's looking at the tax treatment of real estate investment trusts. She's looking at all of those questions. Then there's a review going on. So let's see what uh, comes out of that.
1: Okay. Given the vacancies in, this is the question I, I'm dying to ask you. Okay, given the vacancies in commercial real estate, have you considered policies to help promote converting these to residential? Like, how would you promote the permitting? Okay, it's municipal. Okay, it's provincial. But you clearly have influence. Uh, what do you think about yes. that? Yes.
2: Actually, uh, uh, I would suggest to the questioner, not only have we thought about this, we actually... Uh, Rolled out a program and an $800 million fund to convert vacant offices and commercial properties into residential real estate. So we actually have a program. And in cities like Calgary that have been hit hard by vacancies, their downtown core, there's opportunities for people to turn this into much needed housing. So we have a program. We have a, you know, the question was, have you thought about it? Not only have we thought about it, we've listened to Canadians. We now have a program. Uh, that is carved out from the rental construction financing initiative to actually convert um, commercial properties into residential, and it's open for application.
1: Tell us about the thinking, um, and and even if this was part of the the finance minister's choice, I'm sure you had input. What is the thinking behind the decision to choose, for instance, it's a $40,000 savings threshold for the FH, Mm Say I mean why higher why not higher why not lower why forty?
2: Well I mean look uh, there's a number of initiatives right Th- that's not the only one you have to look at it together with the me. I mean the first time home buyer incentive is arguably way more generous I just gave you okay. the example of someone trying to buy a home in my area of Toronto uh, they, if they're a first time home buyer the federal government could theoretically provide them with up to seventy eight thousand dollars, seventy-nine thousand dollars. I mean that's that's way more than the forty thousand. So it's up to it's up to the first time home buyer to determine what they what program they'll use. Uh, but we're trying hard the foreign the ban on foreign ownership of Canadian residential real estate is also meant as a temporary measure to unlock more opportunities for home buyers while we build more supply.
1: Could could it go higher? I mean, there's no reason to think that it's it's absolutely forever forty grand.
2: Conceivably, I mean, again, I don't want to speak for the finance minister. I mean, I I wouldn't be opposed to it going higher, but I I, uh, I would have to find out the reason why they they uh, kept it at forty thousand dollars.
1: Is housing? Um, I mean, where would you put it, sort of, in the lineup? of most important topics that your government is tackling right now? And then I wanna wanna ask you about diversity.
2: I think it's one of the most important. It's up there with climate change. It's up there with uh, fighting poverty, Uh, but housing, absolutely. Everyone needs a safe and affordable place to call home. It's very, you know, it's a basic human need. We're the government, by the way, that legislated uh, housing as a human right. And we appointed an independent housing advocate and an independent housing council to hold us and future governments accountable. We uh, are investing significant amount of money in housing, uh, more than I don't know the government federal governments in the last 30 years. I mean we're doing we're doing so much in the space. The problem is we need the provinces to do their part. We can't do it alone. We have we have a big role to play. We are doing it. We are not only providing leadership but we're also investing heavily but we need uh, we need we need everyone to be on board
1: just finally in in your other uh portfolio so fidelity for instance actually is, is uh has made sure it's strategically prioritized dei at the firm there's lots of different initiatives reporting recruitment employee engagement community involvement for sure is very high on the list financial literacy there's lots of different pieces to it but it is also yeah. a signature to um, the, uh, Black North and other um, involved initiatives. How how do you see successful partnering with with private initiatives going forward? This this is an example, but but presumably there are more to be done.
2: So I think I think on this in this space, government wh- whatever the governments do, the private sector follows generally generally. Uh, of course, there's the exception where it's the opposite. But generally, what we do and the targets we hold to ourselves usually gets replicated in corporate Canada. But but for us to do that, we have to set an example. We can't. We have to provide the best example of diversity and inclusion across the board, and then we can uh, turn to other governments uh, as well as the private sector. So I think uh, we have to bring a diversity and inclusion lens. To all the systems that surround all of us, so the healthcare system, criminal justice system, the law enforcement system, and so on and so forth, and then economic development, right? We have to make sure that we're lifting everyone up. Uh, I always like to, to give this example. In my previous uh, ministry, we used to get back almost a billion dollars, 900 million-plus money back in in the government. That shouldn't be coming back. That was money that uh, should have been going to people who deserve it, who deserve these benefits, but they were not applying. So the most marginalized members of our communities, who generally happen to be racialized, were not accessing the benefits that they have every right to benefit, Canada Child Benefit, the Guaranteed Income Supplement, the old age security, and so on. So one of my biggest targets was to reduce that number and get more people out there to spread the information about how to access these benefits. And we did that by hiring and connecting with community, trusted community partners, because there's a limit to how far government can go. And there's hard to reach communities who have a mistrust of government. And so we just need to do a better job at including everyone in our society, in our economy. Childcare, the work that I did on early learning and childcare, that uh, Minister Gold has completed is going to make a huge difference because it's not just about affordability, it's about inclusion. There's a lot of racialized kids, kids with disabilities, indigenous kids, who never had a chance to access childcare, high quality childcare. Now they will have that chance because of our investments, because we're hiring more teachers, we're creating more spaces, and we're reducing fees. those kinds of things are good social policy, but they're also good economic policy, because now today, Canada has the highest participation of working age women in its history. 87% of Canadian working age women are in the workforce. That's huge. It, it's going to generate more tax revenue. It is. It, it will increase our productivity. It will decrease labor market shortages. So we have to be smart. Because when we include everyone, when everyone is, is when Canada is firing, firing on all its cylinders, it can only happen when we include everyone, right?
1: I hope so. Ooh. It's, it's um, inspiring to listen to you to speak about it. And I um, really appreciate your time, Minister Ahmed Hussein. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to meet you.
0: Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it.
1: All the very best.
0: Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you. See you next time.